If you're looking for a hunting and fishing podcast that celebrates wild food ingredients and how to acquire them, check out the Food Afield podcast. We take you into the field with us while we adventure for food in the backcountry. The focus is on traditional bow hunting and fly fishing, but we explore all of the ways to fill your freezer. You can listen to the Food Afield podcast on Spotify and Apple or wherever you find your podcasts. listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. So you were recently given uh, an award when you were over in Africa. Tell us about yeah, that and what, and what it humbling. means to you. Yeah, pretty damn humbling. Um, not an e- I, I did not start Blood Origins, and I think that's what sets us apart I think it still sets us apart. Yeah, I happen to be the face. I happen to be the voice. But it's not about me at the end of the day. Um, and this award in South Africa. So in South Africa, you've got two hunting organizations. One called FASA, which is the Professional Hunters Association of South Africa. It's a very long, uh, sort of, it's been there for a long time. I think it's 20 years, maybe 25 years. And then custodians broke away from FASA, very similar story in the hunting industry writ large. People have a differing of opinions and they break away and custodians, the differing opinions that custodians had with FASA was tied to CBL, canned baited lions, essentially. Anyway, we're not gonna get into the CBL discussion, but um, they have various awards and their highest award is the Kunrad for Mark Distinguished Service Award for individual who goes above and beyond in terms of his service or her service to the hunting industry. And a friend of mine in South Africa had mentioned, hey, you know, this may be something that you may, you know, be looked at for. And it was way, way ago and I didn't think anything of it. And I gave a keynote address and probably some of the points that we're going to talk about today uh, was in that keynote address called Connecting the Dots. And um, one of the old buggers of old legends of the organization came up to me after the presentation and I knew it was it was on the money when an old guy comes up to me and goes, I get it now. I get social media now, I get the perception now, I get the issues now and we're going to change. So I'm sitting in my seat at the gala and uh, the guy gets up and he's reading who's winning this award. And in the beginning, I'm like, man, this guy sounds good. He sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And it got to a point where I was like, he said something and I was like, oh shit, it's me. And I looked over at the chairperson and he was looking at me and I raised my eyebrows like I'm raising him to you now. And he just smiled. And yeah, it was truly, truly humbling. I'm not often, as you know me, I'm not often at a loss for words. And I was definitely at a loss for words. But it it certainly, as I said to them, just sort of lit more of a fire underneath me. That yeah, you've been recognized, but that's the beginning. And we I feel like we are still at the beginning. I feel like we're just scratching the surface in terms of what we can do and figuring things out. And 
how the social media landscape is changing almost daily, like the algorithm is changing. I think Instagram right now is under some sort of reset, like even reels aren't doing what they used to do. So I think Instagram's like trying to figure itself out and, and it's almost like a, a challenge from my perspective, like how do you how do you figure it out at the same time as Instagram is figuring it out? And you just test different things and do different things. And so, yeah, the award was amazing. Um, not why we do what we do. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest, certainly, you know, it's nice to be acknowledged in terms of what you do. But again, we're not doing it for that. Um, so, yeah, appreciate you asking. Wow. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I would, I would say, well, well deserved for sure. Um, you definitely deserve some recognition and accolades for all the work you put in. So I, I think that's, that's a wonderful story because I've always envisioned some of these, you know, bigger wards and events and stuff like that. The people going into them know ahead of time in order that they show up and, you know, these, these sorts of things. So there's no awkwardness about it, but to, have been in your seat listening like you said going looking around the room going gee i wonder who that is and then all of a sudden <laughs> you're you're kind of whoa like I, I think that makes it more special than having yeah. got an email like you know eight weeks ago or whatever and okay right. i gotta book a flight and go over there so yeah, uh, yeah. fantastic story fantastic yeah, story great, congratulations man. hey everybody thank, it's thank mark you, hall your curtis. host and it's curtis hall the co-host the Hunter Conservationist Podcast is brought to you by the community-minded Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, BC. I was in Cranbrook, well, not last weekend, the weekend before, a couple weekends ago. And I took a spin past the new dealership that they're building. And uh, man, it's like, <laughs> I don't know how many vehicles they're planning to put in there, but holy smokes, it's like the, it's it's got to be close to like the flagship Toyota dealership of Canada like it's it's huge it's massive it's way bigger than any dealership in Cranbrook that's for sure so that's pretty cool best of luck to them as they continue to build that but as always we are very grateful for Alpine Toyota being the title sponsor of the show big supporters of us big supporters of Ducks Unlimited and conservation efforts across the country that they're doing so this holiday season, if you are in Cranbrook and you're looking for something to do, drop down and bring a coffee or I guess it's Christmas, so hot chocolate. I'm not a big hot chocolate guy, but coffee. Bring coffee down and say, hey, we heard the boys talking about you on their show. Nice work. Keep it up. Buy a set of tires. Buy one of the many, many, many limited edition trucks that we have in the queue for Toyota to start. <laughs> been pump, I've been designing the, the special wrap editions. Exactly, too. yeah. So, yeah, once again, thank you to Alpine Toyota. You bet. Thanks, Curtis, and thanks, Alpine. Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I didn't, I didn't mess up too badly on the first time, so I guess I'm getting a second shot. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the only ones that mess up on this show usually are, are us, so our mm. guests are always, are always so. fantastic. So... <laughs> So um, <clears throat> let me just kind of paraphrase what I have learned about Blood Origins <clears throat> over the, the last couple of years um, <clears throat> about what you stand for and what you're, what you're trying to accomplish and, and kind of see if I'm, I'm getting it right. So um, 
you have sort of coined the term, your mission is to convey the truth about hunting. Um, and the premise behind that was you felt that others were speaking for hunters and hunting and saying who hunters were and what hunting is from outside the hunting community. And part of what you want to do is to get control of that narrative to say, this is who hunters are. This is what hunting is about. And we're speaking about that using the truth. You want to and engage the and the proof. Okay. Evidence, evidence-based speaking. You seem to be very dedicated to public debate and public dialogue with others that disagree with hunting uh, mm -hmm. inside and outside the hunting community. You host the openly host those debates um, again with the premise of let's talk about the truth and the proof of hunting. And, and I see that as when people hear the truth, when people hear evidence, whether or not they hunt, there's a greater probability of understanding it with greater understanding becomes a greater probability in the future of social acceptance of hunting and the continued of hunting. So does that kind of damn can I, I hire you as my spokesperson? There we go. You know, I'm do, like doing that. my homework. I like that. No, it's you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll, I'll add, I'll, I'll sort of caveat one thing that it's because I know a lot of, how do I say this? There is, there's people doing the same kind of things in the space that we're in, that okay. I'm in, that you're in. And I don't want to replicate what they do. Um, so I'll give you an example. There's a guy out of Sweden. I don't know if you've come across Jens Ulrich Hög yet. He's a great individual. Um, he's very Swedish. He's very, no, he's very Scandinavian. He's very direct. What's his brand kind of that he goes by? His, his, he, he is the communications director is hired as a communications director for Nordic Safari club. Mm, okay. No, he's very active on Facebook. But what he has, he has sort of niched himself is that he is in the public debate space and the real public debate space. Like he gets invited onto Sky News in, in London to go up against Will Travers of the Born Free Foundation. Okay. He debates individuals, though, that are completely anti hunting. That's his niche. The big guys that are like the campaign to ban trophy hunting in the UK, Eduardo Concalve, Sir Roger Gale, you know, the, the member of parliament, that's who Jens goes after. People have said to me, hey, you need to get into these big public debate styles like Jens does. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I'm not interested in that because I'd be maybe the stage is what I'm, that would be, you know, most appropriate to get our message across i'd get frustrated in the debate style because the person that i'm debating knows that i'm right and they're never going to change their position it doesn't matter they're never going to change their position i'd prefer to speak with people that may have a little bit you know bigger influence in their sort of social media circles versus the tv or even just joe blows right and just have honest authentic 
conversations, dialogues, discussions about things that they may not understand, or they have a, a certain perception of specifically of hunting and hunters. So for instance, you know, we just recently had a guy on our on our podcast called David Wyatt. He is the social media marketing manager for a very, very large two a pro two a organization. But he is a staunch, staunch vegan. Oh, and he came onto our he so came onto our page. for our Canadian listeners when Robbie says two A that Second Amendment, yeah, guns. He's in he's in the gun rights space. Yep, um, which seems a little contrary, but he loves it. And um, he came onto our page, said something. Unfortunately, we still have, and I think this is where again I love what I do because I can see it in it's it's working in motion, sort of in real time. In the beginning, when someone would come on our page and say something anti-hunting, you'd get the typical pile on, right? Just smash, smash, smash. You're just an idiot. You're a snowflake. You're a liberal, libertad, yada, 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 yada. Now it only happens very rarely. Now it's very much like how we speak. Very respectful, very educated, very, you know, hey, this is... But he did get... He, he took a couple of licks and i jumped in and said no like why are we why are you responding to this guy he asked a very innocent question without an understanding so then i just dm'd him and said come on my podcast and let's just let's just have an open you ask me any question you you want around hunting and we'll talk about it and we got into the whole like trophy hunting the the idea of the descriptor of trophy hunting and I said, you know, that's a moniker that unfortunately is against us. He's like, oh, that's, you know, that's a terrible moniker. I think that's horrendous practice. And I said, well, let me, let me couch it like this. That trophy hunting, the descriptor of the hunting, trophy as the descriptor, is actually the action of hunting. How about I tell you about the consequence of the action of hunting? And I can change the descriptor to being from trophy to conservation. So actually, the, per, the the action is trophy hunting. So the person going, and this is, I guess, again, why I think we're so successful. The, the guy going, let's be honest, is not going for conservation. He's going because he wants to take a trophy. Okay, let's be honest. But the consequence of the action is conservation. So can we just call it conservation hunting? It's not lying. Yeah, we may be putting lipstick on a pig in terms of the anti-hunting space. And I was telling this to this vegan, exactly how I'm telling it to you now. And then I stopped talking. He goes, I like that a lot. That's exactly what you should do. <laughs> I was like, okay. We have a vegan who's a non-hunter who has probably a couple of misperceptions around hunting, understood what I was saying and said, yeah, that's what you need to do. That's the beauty of just having a conversation with somebody like that face to face, even if it's like what we're doing right now, this is still face to face. It's mm. very much like we're sitting in, in the room together. We can read, you know, each other and, and th that's how, how it used to be, you know, the, the, the old town halls, the, mm -hmm. the even farther back to like the public squares where people would come to the center of the towns and 
how the public squares and somebody would just start a conversation and people would gather around and the whole term about get up on your soapbox or get off your soapbox like that metaphor came from the old town squares because you had a little box and you stood up on it that's the person that was speaking his or her mind and there was this community dialogue you know about topics hundreds of years later here we are um, still trying to advance debate and dialogue in the public space. Would you agree for us now that the social media, that public space is, is social media now? Like that's, it's, it's a virtual uh, town hall, the virtual, and, and this, the podcasts, the Instagrams, the everything, this is where this dialogue is happening does that seem fair yeah there was a science paper done by muller et al in 2022 this year in which they looked at it was actually done to look at whether or not they could just decipher illegality of leopard take through social media imagery but what they did in that in that paper, there's a beautiful graph that shows the sort of resurrection of social media through time. And 2005 is when essentially your digital camera on a phone was created. 2008 is when the smartphone came into existence, essentially, or 2007 kind of thing. So we've only really been living in this social media digital age for 13 years, if you think about it, 15 years. And it is on a exponential rise in those graphs. There is no end in sight. And I don't know what it's going to look like in five years or 10 years time, but it's going to be probably more prevalent than it is today. I don't mm -hmm. know how it can become more prevalent than it is today, but it will be given the, the exponential rise of, of what we're seeing. Um, yeah, it certainly is the it is the public debate platform. It is the thing that people take all of their news from, all of their opinions from, they form perspectives from. And I think from my perspective, we are in the game because if someone is looking for content that shows hunting in a different light, there's not many platforms, if any, outside of who we of of us blood origins that is showcasing hunting in a different light like purposely like constantly consistently methodically persistently day in and day out there isn't an organization around the world doing it that like we do it um and i and we do it because there has to be something else right when you search for, for when someone searches around a topic like the elephants earlier this year, right? April, I don't know what it was, April 15th, April 16th, the first hundred pounder hit the dirt in Botswana this year. F photos got leaked, got slammed right away. If we didn't do something, if we didn't put a post out, if we didn't podcast with the PH, if we didn't podcast with a neutral party, if we didn't podcast with a guy that was completely anti-elephant hunting, the 30 articles that got written about the elephant around the world would not have had a pro hunting stance in them period but luckily we put content out there and every single article that was written that this was a terrible thing 
But then there was three or four lines from the Blood Origins podcast about the elephant hunt. That was a little different than what the article was all about. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. If we yeah. didn't do it, it wouldn't have even been, nobody would have touched it with a 10-foot pole. The amount of bullets that we took, and we, and we obviously sent bullets downrange as well. But that was the first time. Uh, that honestly was the first time that I was like, oh, man, because it could have easily become like a Cecil. And the only reason it didn't become a Cecil is because nobody knew about that elephant. Even though the articles were like, this is an iconic elephant that just got killed in, ele in Botswana. Bullshit. Produce a photo. He didn't have a name. Produce a photo of that elephant. And he had a very distinctive flared tusk structure. Everyone is like, produce it. Let's see it. You don't know that elephant. Nobody's ever seen that elephant before. So that's why it didn't go where it needed to go. Well, where it could have gone. Let me gotcha. say that. Um, so. Huh. So, yeah, so social media is, you know, I find it fascinating trying to navigate and learn it myself. One of the values in what you do and what we do is we can crank stuff out really quickly. Something can happen today. We could record this podcast and it's out at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning. Like we're, yep. we're on it. It's not like traditional print media and TV shows and like you need all that lead time. It's like, it's cool. And then we can respond to this stuff so quickly. And like you did, you insert some truth or different perspectives into the narrative in real time as it's developing. And, and as you know, once it's out there, it's really hard to reel people back uh, from emotions to facts. And so part of my journey anyways, in, in learning this tool and about myself mostly, um, it's, it's mostly learning about how I react to things and what, what I'm, you know, trying, trying to do with, with our space. Uh, I've, as I've read a couple of books, one of them you had posted and, mm -hmm. um, Beyond I, I've read through that. Prism. Yeah. Chris, Chris Bale breaking the social media prism. And so there's the downside to social media and, and, you know, we'll, we'll hear your thoughts on that a little bit too. A couple things that I took away from Chris's book was, um, is that social media and this is like that concept of the prism is like we're injecting stuff into this platform and a prism is bending it and it's pushing it out the other side on how it's received and how you receive stuff there's there's a warp happening and one of the things i took from that message that he was talking about is that social media promotes extremism everything everything from the algorithms promotes extremism and it mutes the moderates based on his social science studies and science studies of others moderates are the ones that can listen to facts and evidence and different perspectives and shift a little bit on their belief scales but they're getting slammed and attacked and quiet and the algorithms like kind of mute the extremists within no, our the, tribes the moderates yeah mute the moderates sorry and then everybody's in a tribe we all have our echo chambers um and one of the things that he said in there is we actually reward people individuals within our own tribes 
for being extremist. So there's this double sort of emphasis on 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 promoting and 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 the extremist views on social media. Another thing that I took from Chris's book was that this idea of stepping outside your echo chamber and engaging others and trying to learn yourself actually drives more people to be more entrenched in their tribe's views. And I was like, so this is one of the things I want to talk to you. It's like, holy shit, are, are we getting more entrenched in our views and are we trying to engage the other people and just driving them closer, you know, to their, to their views? So, um, no, I had issue with Chris's experiment. Okay. I, had, I, I felt like he, he biased his experiment to lead to that conclusion. And mm. that's, and here's why I say that. So for those of you that have not read this book, this guy, Chris, uh, what Bale, right? Bale, Bale. Yeah. social Bale. scientist, Bale. Uh, and it's called breaking the social media prism. And he's, and he's, and he really, it's talking in a political concept uh, from a conservatives and Democrats perspective and seeing if anybody would shift to the middle, you've got these extreme views as a Republican extreme views as a Democrat. And if you are exposed to the opposite parties or the opposite uh, tribes paradigms or rhetoric, would you move further away from them? Or would you move closer to them? His experiment would have been perfect if he did it in two ways. Number one, which is what he did in the book, which is what you just alluded to. He exposed each each tribe to the most extreme viewpoints out of those tribes. Of course, they're going to they're going to move away from the most extreme views. Of course, a Trumper is going to look at someone saying something bad about Trump's going to go, Oh, look at them. They're even worse than I expected and move to the left. That's not that's not rocket science to me. What would have been better is if they would have exposed them to moderate views more left-leaning, more right-leaning of center versus the extreme and seeing if they, they trended towards middle. And I reckon they would have trended towards middle. In which you would have had almost like, again, think of it like this. A Trumper is exposed to a Democrat's viewpoint that actually half of what they're saying is, yes, a little bit more aligned with the, the left or the right than this side and there's lots of those in the there's there's lots of those in the middle too right it's not just this extreme it's this person who's like yes i'm a republican but i don't agree with everything that republicans stand for yes i'm a democrat but i don't believe with everything that democrats stand for and so if you expose those two parties just like hunters and anti-hunters if you took a bunch of hunters and expose them to the most vile vegan rhetoric anti-hunting rhetoric possible you're not going to draw them towards the middle you're going to draw them further and further away from vegans if you're a vegan and you hear and see this rhetoric from hunters oh we just like to kill shit we just like to you know we, we get this bloodlust you're going to get further and further away from hunting versus a vegan being exposed to a hunter that says you know i hunt because it gets it's the closest way that i can get to ensuring the highest standards of animal welfare that I could possibly, I could possibly attain. 
which is true for hunting. And that vegan hears that and goes, holy shit, there's, they're much closer, much more thoughtful than I expected. Where do you think that vegan just went? Came to the middle. Moved to the middle a bit. Yeah, exactly. Huh. And, that, and I think what he was, what I took away from his book was what he keeps saying all the time is this viewpoint of I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't give a shit about what you want to do or what you want to say because it's a free country and I can do what I want is the is the viewpoint of extremism and it's the the viewpoint that it's going to lead to more divide versus be a little bit more you know respectful be a little bit more thoughtful again we i say it all the time thinking is going to save hunting thinking before you post thinking before you take the shot thinking before you comment thinking before you respond yeah yeah so do you see that that to me when i read the book i was like why are you not doing why are you giving him the most why are you giving the other side the most inflammatory stuff you possibly can of course they're gonna trend to the well other i way. guess i guess what that was was that's reality so the algorithms are promoting the extremist views the worst of the worst no, but he of was either manipulating side. the algorithms he was creating bots yeah himself. yeah so so, so he, he was doing that in his test groups but so that's the real world that's kind of how we're all operating right now is we're getting exposed to the extremist views which are entrenching us and and continuing to polarize so so he did a study kind of emulating that mm -hmm. with the central question of if you were exposed because we tend to stay in our our echo chambers but if you tend mm -hmm. to exposed to the other echo chambers would would you change your views um so the anti-hunting hunting debate if if you kind of sort of keep that um in in mind then what he showed was is no that doesn't happen so it's almost like the science just confirmed what we all know is that these entrenched positions argue with each other on social media and go back and forth and nobody really changes their mind right but he did offer some solutions at the end of the book which i'll see what you think on how the algorithms work currently the algorithms look at somebody that's like putting out extremist views on something numbers of followers and how much are they attracting views then they get promoted and put in front of more people mm -hmm. what he was saying was why don't we foster the moderates that are getting lost in all of this and when you join a social media group we're going to ask some questions about you and scientifically kind of put you into some categories, then what the algorithm does is put the moderate conversations in front of you. The more the moderate is reaching people not in their category, the algorithm promotes them and puts them in front of more people. So mm -hmm. it was kind of like, it was an algorithm that would quell the extremism and allow mm -hmm. the people in the middle to have mm -hmm. middle conversation so I don't, I don't know what you think about that well, idea I, but I, I i like it i think it's a bit fairy tale-ish because how many even in the last like three years how many social media platforms have been established to try to go against a twitter a facebook and an instagram 
I know of probably eight. None of none have come to the forefront, right? Yeah, we've still yep. got our Twitter, our Instagram, and our Facebook. And, That's it. And the part about that is, is they are businesses. Um, and I've had to tell people this before, like social media is not the publicly owned space. They are businesses. They mm -hmm. are using your private information to get manufacturers of products in front of you so that you buy stuff and click on things. It's that's the business. It's not like we're entitled to have these fair conversations. They're manipulating our conversations to sell us stuff. So now another book, uh, that I showed you just yesterday or this morning or whatever that kind of oh, piqued your interest. It's shared it to me yesterday. I would have had an opportunity, opportunity to, to it, watch the author's like video. I know this morning saying, Hey, we're going to talk about this tonight. No, I, I would just said, I said, hey, this is this book might interest you. I'm definitely going to read it, though. So the book is called I'm Right and You're an Idiot. It's the author is James Hogan. He's from British Columbia. Um, the subtitle is The Toxic State of Public Discourse and How to Clean It Up. One of the best sayings that I like from the book, which is an assessment of the state of debate and dialogue in social media is let me open your mind with an ice pick and that's that's what he said is Jeez. kind of this the state of it and he also talks about this thing of pollution we can pollute the environment we can pollute waters we can pollute the air we can also pollute public conversations and there's big engines out there, whether they're governments or corporations or well-backed um, organizations with particular agendas that purposely do this. They pollute the public conversations to confuse it and to basically kill debate and dialogue. Uh, and this is one of the, you know, sort of the things that, that this author talked about. And he said, the long game is to undermine our confidence in our ability to collectively have conversations. And I, I do feel we're at a point where people feel that social media, we've lost control. We can't actually have, you know, a, a good debate and it's just not going to happen. They're not going to change their mind. This isn't going to, you know, change anything. So um that that's a good book i know i know you'll enjoy it as well yeah i look forward to getting it, it sounds right up my alley <laughs> i like like let me open your mind with an ice pick like there's no there's no other thing that's sort of like yeah we know a lot of people with ice ice picks so i kind of i kind of want to uh, see what your thoughts are specifically now like about the state of the debate and dialogue around hunting like your thoughts on where, where we're at, how it's going, what's working well and what's not. But before we dive into that, one of the reasons that I first reached out to you, like back in November, um, about doing a podcast on this topic was you, you'd made a post and I really got the sense you were feeling down and mm. a bit beaten. And I think you take a lot of bullets, uh, in the chest and in the back probably more so than what we do. And it just, I just felt like that there was a little bit of a down moment for you. Um, 
pro- I, I don't know if you want to open up or you want to say uh, anything. I just kind of feel like you're getting beat up by our own. The people that you're working for are, are also beating you up, which is... Um, so how are you doing? You are a hard worker, and yes, I, you're, get, you're taking bullets. We're good now. We're good now. Okay. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people... Though, you know, I put my face and my voice out there, um, we don't, and again, I've purposely not, I don't swing in, bring in, open up my sort of personal space in Blood Origins. Though I do think that that has, that is the reason why Blood Origins is successful or has been more successful than others in that in the NGO space that we're in, we're a nonprofit. I would say we're in the in the space with the Wild Sheep Foundation, with an RMEF, with Ducks and that's we're in that space. We're very unique in that you know the person that runs Blood Origins. You know the guy, you know the voice, you know the face. You don't know the face or voice of RMEF or Ducks Unlimited or Wild Sheep because that's not the model. We just created a new model, which is you get to know the person. The person is the is essentially your champion, and so, but there's a there's a very fine balance there, right? I don't want to be too personal, and you, but, and so you don't get to know. All I'm trying to say is you don't know what's happening behind the scenes personally. Yeah. And so we just had a very rough 2022, personally. Um, I moved my family to a different state. Uh, we were struggling to sell a house. We had multiple mortgages. It was just life. Life was just like beating us down. And and then, I, you know, yeah, we take our fair share of bullets from intern, inside the hunting community and outside the hunting community. I've developed a more thicker skin as we've gone through this journey. Um, and we create content. Our, our content is so diverse. It, it almost lends itself more to people pointing fingers at the content, if that makes sense. We don't just niche ourselves in white-tailed deer and that's what we do. And you, you really can't have an issue with white-tailed deer. But, you know, we, we range all the way from high fence hunting to trapping to long-range shooting, you, you name it, all the controversial stuff that everyone fights about, we touch them all. Like even today, I had, we were about to drop a, 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 an episode in December, I don't know if I'm going to do it this week or next week, but of an African-American family in Portland, Oregon, that all of them hunt, they go to hunting camp, they hunt elk, they hunt chukka, you know, upland birds. And the piece today was that I even, you can hear me say, you're African-American, you're not supposed to hunt. And I got slammed by someone because I said that. And, 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 my, and, and but, but again, to who we are, a lot of people would take that comment and go like, well, you have no idea what you're saying. You know, they'd get, they'd jump on the guy instead of, I would say, well, you know, really appreciate your comment. Um, what we do every day is change perceptions around hunters. And there is a perception, writ large, that you don't see very many African Americans that hunt. Yes. And that's the point. But 
I appreciate that, you know, I didn't quite say it this way, but he was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm often in your corner, but this to me is distasteful and shouldn't ever be posted or something like that. And I said, you have the right to an opinion. Thank you very much for expressing your opinion. I very much appreciate you. That's how we handle the things. Um, we, I've, it's difficult. It's the it's sort of the Christian mentality, you know, turn the other cheek, let the other cheek get slapped. Um, take the high road when someone calls you out. Um, but yeah, no, it was, we're good now though. Like, like we're in a better position personally. Um, got a lot of content under our belt that I was worried about from a blood origins perspective that it that required a lot of travel. Um, but no, we're very good now and looking okay. forward to a massive 2023. Okay. Sweet. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I was like, man, um, to see somebody working as hard as you kind of take some hits and, and kind of shows a little bit, it's like, Hey, man, I've got to reach out and yeah, there was a little a bit of vulnerability and... there, right? That I think a lot of people needed to see too. Like, it's not yep. just, again, and that's the other thing of social media. We're talking about social media. Social media, you always just see the best foot always. Right. In, unless you when purposely. I like, yep. I was like, well, I'm not, I don't have a very good foot today. So you're going to see <laughs> the other foot today. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's good to hear. I'm sure listeners are going to be, um, they'll, they'll empathize and they'll relate and they understand that mm -hmm. all of us go through these ups and downs and all of us have weak moments where we lose control. And sometimes we have to come back and apologize and square up and, and move on. Um, I think the value in having a face to your organization is that it's a human, it's not a polished brand. It's, mm -hmm. uh, a message that's been developed mm -hmm. and crafted by a dozen people. Um, it's, you, you it's, you're pretty real what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So let, let's jump into your thoughts on using social media for this public space to have these debates and dialogues over hunting. How are we doing? Um, you gave an example of a change, I think a positive change on the elephant story and getting yourself into some articles. What else are you seeing, thinking? It's going well, it's changing in a positive direction and what's not going so well. Yeah, I think from from when we started five years ago to where we are today, I've, I've definitely seen the tide turn. I think a lot of people, I, I think number one, I think a lot of people are showcasing more of the things that we are that we are trying pe to, to tell people to focus on, the benefits and consequences of the action of hunting, you, you know, if you if you're thinking about what you're posting, you don't have to be apologetic to the fact that you kill animals, but you also have to be empathetic to the idea that people may not understand. And I think that that idea is changing. I think a lot of people are seeing that. I think a lot of people are changing their tune, quote unquote, online. I think they're not being as, you know, again, maybe it's just. I think it's almost like this social peer pressure. Like they see us t interact the way that we interact. They see you interact the way that you interact. They see a lot of people interacting differently. They're now getting a lot more educated about certain topics because of you, because of us, because of others. And so when someone does get in their face and says, you guys are just a bunch of killers, they can go, that may look that way, 
but here let me provide you some statistics or let me provide you this or let me provide you that or you know nobody eats an elephant oh no did you see this post of blood origins now these guys eat elephant just go look it's right there you know we just videoed a guy in zimbabwe and i told my camera crew i said boys this you're filming the 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 the, the thing that nobody has ever filmed before these guys took elephant ribs they'd been they'd been cooking in the sun for five weeks <laughs> and these guys chopped them like little riblets and cooked them for four hours and ate them that night and they offered me some and i was like nope i'm not eating it because my constitution was not going to handle that meat like i would have been on the shitter for probably two days <laughs> eating that meat. um but we just filmed the guys eating elephant ribs nobody's filmed that before all sitting around a fire at night eating it and telling us that it's the number one meat they would prefer this meat over anything so i think the debate here's the other thing i'll, I'll make that i think it's something that i like to keep in the back of my brain and maybe it's good for you to keep in the back of your brain it's because we live in these little echo chambers we live in a hunting echo chamber and we are listening very intently into the anti-hunting echo chamber. Both seem very, very loud. Okay? They aren't. Just step out a little bit. Ask non-hunters that you interact with, friends that you interact with. Simply about the elephant. Hey, did you hear about this elephant? Nine out of ten people would have said no didn't see the news didn't so it's not really that big a deal at the end of the day like people may be screaming about something it it, it may not have that much like oomph that you think it has um, in the moment so always keep that in the back of your brain that it may seem big and may seem monumentous at the time um, but outside this echo chamber and outside the anti-hunting echo chamber not many people know about it. Gotcha. Not many people are worrying about it. Yeah. Um, but when they do pick up something outside that echo chamber, that's when you need to be ready and you need to have content and you need to be in the forefront of things. Um, I think that, again, in, in the circles that I, and I, that I run in, we're starting to see a lot more like evidence-based scientists. There's two big scientists out of the UK. I need to find, there's one out of the US. So the two out of the UK is a lady called Amy Dickman. She's a vegetarian. Does not go against, you've heard of Amy Dickman. There's another guy yep. called Adam Hart. Um, then we've got Jim Heffelfinger down in Arizona. We need more big scientists. And again, this is, it just takes time. But I really want to like go to these land grant institutes around the United States and find some champions of hunting, trophy hunting, that kind of stuff, and sort of amplify their voices. Because the more we can amplify these scientists and academic voices that are, uh, you know, as close to objective as you can get, I I think I'm objective, but I'm not because I run a pro hunting advocacy organization. And I'm never getting away from that moniker ever again. Uh, but I can get as close to objective as I as I can get in that realm by talking to people that are outside my echo chamber, to, by listening, by saying yes, and being honest about certain things. 
Mm -hmm. So I think our debate can get stronger if we if we're if we take a little bit more time to be smarter in the people that we are engaging with. The reason Amy and Adam are so good is that they are very social media savvy and they're academics. So let's find those people in the US. And it's just a matter of finding those young professors that are coming up. Um, and if anyone's listening to this podcast and knows young professors that are social media savvy, that are pro hunting, I want to know them. I want to get introduced to them. No, that's a, that's a good one. We know one. We've had him on the show a couple of times. Uh, Mateen Hasimi uh, first started his undergraduate work uh, in University of Montana under Dr. Mark Hebelwhite. He's now under uh, Dr. Adam Ford and Dr. Rob Soroya here in British Columbia on s some of the caribou recovery stuff and uh, different um, indigenous um, conservation, you know, projects and stuff. He started the first backcountry hunters and anglers um, collegiate chapter in the U.S., I believe, at the University of Montana, still? and then in Bur in Canada, he started the first one at the UBC campus in uh, in Kelowna. So there, there's one. Uh, is he a PhD student or is he a professor? He is a undergrad right now. Will probably do his PhD and probably end up either in um, academia or private foundation research or or possibly teaching. But great, cool. great guy. Good mm -hmm. big shout out for, for Mateen. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, I like your message, you know, about, you know, some of these things are not as, as big as they seem on social media. I would definitely concur. One of the things we try to do with stuff that we show people and talk about on the Round Canada podcast or whatever is just sort of like, keeping pulse, keeping, keeping our eye on the pulse of some of these things. So if something pops up, you know, we'll talk about it, give our thoughts on it. And then if it pops up again, and then a year from now it pops up again, we'll start to kind of connect the dots, you know, using, using your, and then start to be like, there's something stirring. Let's start to get organized for this. And the grizzly bear debate and the loss of the hunt in British Columbia was the example that I use is we were getting the indicators and the red flags starting back in the seventies and ignored them thinking that mm -hmm. hunting was untouchable and all of these things like cumulative effects added up to a major campaign unprepared for it. Boom. You know, so so yeah, individually, just like cumulative impacts on an ecosystem, individually it might not be worth dedicating all of your time and energy and comments and stuff on social media, but just keep track of that <clears throat> little fire, you know, and over time monitored and then and then assess, and and that's one of the things we do that way. So, well, you just brought up a point that. Is, is difficult to put your finger on, but is the strategy of time that is being used against hunting today. You know, grizzly, the grizzly ban in BC didn't come about in the last three years. It's been, as you said, something that maybe has been around since the 80s, 70s or 80s. 
the fact that we just lost Washington spring bear season, that didn't just happen in the last year and a half. It was a 10 year, 15 year coordinated strategy of the anti-hunting establishment with lots of lobbying power and lots of money working uh, behind the scenes, touting a guy, hey, Ensley, that guy, hmm, he's got some political power. He's got some political wherewithal. Let's keep an eye on him. Oh, he just became a senator. Hmm, okay, let's, let's put a little bit more money behind him. Oh, he just became lieutenant governor. Hmm, he's going to run for governor for the next eight years. Let's put some real money behind him now. Becomes governor. Oh, now we've got some opportunity to sway his position and who is getting elected into the commission. All of a sudden, the commission swings and changes to a very non-consumptive, used more pres preservationist type thought process. And why are we surprised then that we lose hunting opportunities? through the commission it's just a very very clever long ball executed strategy yeah so you can't fight it today because it's been in the works for 12 years 15 years yeah so you know, the narrative has like, been well, developed yeah so you got to think around the corner like you said you got to start peering around the corner okay what's coming next what's in five years time what's in seven years time and start putting in the roadblocks right now because that's the way you got to think because that's the way they think yep yep mm. yeah look, looking looking at hunting more more strategically curtis what are you seeing on your social media and our social media like changes over the you know the time that we've been here doing this as far as you know way the way people engage with you with others is are we getting better at debate and dialogue in social media or worse yeah i think i think things are getting better like i've noticed especially in the last year that the followers we have are more in that middle that there's not as many of those when we first started up you'd get the extremists on mostly on the hunting side that would kind of like be like what no that's stupid why are you saying that blah 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 and it's we've kind of which is what we've talked about is trying to just we're like we don't cater to those people we don't really give a shit that those people find our stuff and you know if you're gonna be like that we don't want you to be following us. And I think we've weeded through a good chunk of that. And the majority of stuff, I'd say 95% of the stuff that I'm seeing one in my personal stuff, but two through the hunter conservationist is all positive conversation and people are, are more and more asking how they can get engaged. They're like, Hey, what can we do? Hey, kind of curious can you offer me a little advice it's like what i want to write my elected official or, or you know and i've noticed a lot more of that especially within the last year and i mean it's probably the algorithm too because it's like the algorithm knows that it. it's like i don't really give a shit about seeing the far end of the hunting spectrum so it just doesn't show me the the stuff i don't know if that's got a big part to do with it but 
yeah, I, I've noticed a big upswing in, in positive engagement and yeah, especially people wanting to get engaged. Yeah, I would, I, I would say that was one of the things I've noticed since we've been in business is people kind of stepping forward and saying, you know, I got into hunting. I didn't want to be an activist. I didn't want to be an advocate. I wanted to stay out of the politics to people saying, I, I can't sit here and be quiet and have my head in the sand. Who, who should I talk to about <clears throat> this yeah. issue that you brought up? And, and, and I am seeing more, more of that, um, where people are sort of like coming out and saying, I realize now as an individual, I can't let everybody else take care of this. My voice matters. I have to write somebody, sign whatever, become active. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the big things we've seen through our social media is, a little bit of a philosophical shift from I'm a hunter. I just want to be left alone. I just want to do my thing to now I'm a hunter. I want to be left alone and I want to do my thing, but then I'm also an activist mm-hmm. and I, I am going to get engaged and, and I, that's a positive part of social media, I think. Yeah. I think that, uh, the, the time of hunters hiding in the closet keeping the closet door closed and only coming out when the closet door gets ripped open and they get punched in the nose by someone is, is, is coming to an end. Um, I think that more and more hunters are stepping out from the shadows out of their closets and saying, this is who we are. This is what I do. Uh, love to educate you on the subject are a little bit more, uh, thoughtful, a little bit more respectful about how they post things, what they post, um and letting people know that they are hunters right and that's one of our biggest pushes one of the things that i'm I'm keen on in 2023 is we've got so many people so many influential people that hunt and they don't say anything about them hunting i put up that post where i I had Dan Belizarin and the real Tarzan and Ricky Gervais, you know, huge, huge celebrity influences that are against hunting. And I said, where why, I'm, I said, I'm pissed off. Where are my, where are my celebrities? Where are my influences? And they're there. They just don't want to say anything. And I think that this, I think they're scared because again, hunting has become so polarized that they don't want to say something versus through the blood origins lens, it's not that polarizing because what we're saying is very gray and it's very, you know, it's full of benefit and it's full of consequence. It's not the, you know, the vilified practice that you think it is. So I've this, and, and then, you know, Dan Belizrin fricking responded through Instagram DM with me. One morning I woke up and there's a fricking Instagram story DM from a guy that has 38 million followers. And I spent 30 minutes debating him through Instagram DM. And at the end of the day, he just says, I'm for I'm pro hunting. I'm just not pro people doing it for fun and for sport. And I said, why don't you just say that? Instead of your post saying being a tremendously anti hunting post, Say, I'm a hunter. I do it for this, this, this. I just don't agree with people doing it for fun. 
And you said that to me, but you didn't say it publicly. Well, see, he knows the algorithms. Because mm -hmm. the extremist post got all the likes and more followers were the moderate post of saying something in the middle like that and he'd be worried about his I don't brand think was, I, <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying but i think yeah. that it would have been the same reaction yeah no i think um, when you have that many followers yeah um, but again it helps me because if it's an extreme post like you that like you know that you're suggesting that means more people are gonna watch and see what i say yep on it so a hundred thousand people, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand people saw what I said to him about hunting. Mm -hmm. So very I'll true. Take that too. Very true. We had a very similar kind of thing happen here in Canada about a week ago. So we, our nation, is kind of embroiled in this mm -hmm. debate about federal gun legislation and amendments to the Firearms Act bill that was introduced a couple of years ago that are scooping up a bunch of shotguns and centerfire and rimfire rifles traditionally used for hunting, even sure. modern-looking sporting firearms that younger people or um, people from were choosing to use for hunting weapons, completely legal. They've, you know, they've been uh, put on prohibited lists. And... A week and a half ago, there was an Instagram post from Carrie Price, who is the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens, one of the most loved and admired and respected people in professional hockey, great with kids, stuff in his community, made a post and a direct appeal to the Prime Minister of Canada to stop going after hunting firearms and that was huge national analysts absolutely and analysts are saying they think that the heat from that was one of the driving factors of the prime minister saying they're going to go back and review their amendments because it's not their intent to be capturing and prohibiting hunting firearms so so well, that was the debate on the floor where you had every party represented on the floor saying this is terrible yeah, a guy that yeah. like, he was I had to be translated because he was speaking French, saying, I'm not a hunter, but why are you taking the hunting guns away? So, so I think the neat thing out there is in this hunting community, it's like somewhere out there, what's, what's that thing that you're only like five people away from like this celebrity or five people away oh, from yeah, that? Six so, degrees of freedom. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and so, so within our hunting community, there are thousands of people in North America that are connected to huge celebrities that hunt that have huge followers and the power of you as an individual person to start setting those wheels in motion even if it's anything to like man can you say something about this acknowledge what's going on uh, or even just say you're a hunter and you stand with your you know um that 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 can that can be accomplished by anybody listening to this well, degrees of freedom and i'm just i'm just kind of i got instagram open here i just was curious i'm i'm rolling back um, and I'm just looking at the amount of engagement that Carrie Price usually gets on his posts. And, you know, it's like this one, it's like 27,000 likes, 80 comments, 39,000, 14,000, you know, 70,000. And the post that he made, he has just under 
120,000 likes and 8,400 comments. It's like as far back as I can go. It's like he's, <laughs> it's his largest post engagement. How do you today. spell carry? Uh, it is C A R E Y. C A R E Y. Yeah. Carry Price. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred and oh, sorry. Hundred hundred and twelve thousand likes. Got it. But it's just like. Mass, that was a great, mass great story. Over. Crazy. Yeah. And and I think that just speaks volume to what you were saying, Robbie, about like, you know, the power of social media, the power of the debates being in those spaces and the power of people that are pro hunting with big followers to be in, engaged. And I think there there is fear of the cancel culture um they tried to get carrie price with it his team had to get involved and he's sort of even like no 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 like don't speak for me this is not what i meant and you know there was so 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 the social you know the, the cancel army came after him so to speak and 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 he got he got through it because he had a good reputation but uh it it's a good success story to share with people because i think it's speaking to what something that you are wanting to build bigger in 2023 is are those types of folks mm -hmm. no you're 100 percent correct 100 percent correct now in in this book uh i'm writing you're an idiot uh by james hogan there's a few things that um that, that i picked out that i'm just going to kind of put out there and maybe just kind of get get you to talk to them one of the things that he said is um, facts are not enough in okay. our public debate. And he said, communication must come from the heart and you must attach values to your debate or your argument. What does that mean to you in the hunting space? Yeah, he's absolutely right. I think, and again, <laughs> in in the internet digital space world that we live in people don't do research any longer and so anyone can say anything and people believe it so if you say something fact wise some may believe some may not believe i think when you you marry facts with what he just talked about uh, i would rather call it like emotion Mm -hmm. like reality, some realism to it, then I think it softens the edges of facts, right? It softens the edges of academia, science -y kind of language. Because I think if you if you diatribe out the science, i.e. facts, people tend to like shut off a little bit. They're like, oh, this is too highfalutin. It's whatnot. But if you like, you add a little bit of realism in there, a little bit of honesty, a little bit of self-reflection. It almost bridges that gap, you know, like what we say constantly, be honest, like, okay, yes, that is a terrible picture of that lion and the person crouching behind it. I would never have taken it. You know, I can see why it elicited the reaction that it did. But did you know that in places that there is hunting, the lion population is increasing? 
because they're protected from poaching and they're protected from people poisoning them because they're killing cattle you just in that just that little piece you gave them facts but you didn't give them in like the sort of like black and white like here boom 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 you almost laced it with things that would speak to their heart a little bit and things that make it a little bit more palatable yeah. that's how i see it yeah Hmm. I've done Good. this a couple of times in the last three years. <laughs> <laughs> now, another thing that he said um, was sort of one of the, the greatest imperatives that we have in cleaning up the toxic state of the public discourse is we need to get along with the people we disagree with. Being right is not enough. What are your thoughts around that concept? We have to get along with the people that we disagree with. Yes. Totally. And, and so he said being right is not enough. So, so this kind of plays into the, like, we see somebody who we don't agree with. So it's full on, like, launch an attack on this person and, and you know, destroy them show them that they're wrong their facts are wrong they're interpreting things wrong um they're just to say i'm i'm right like he mm -hmm. he's saying that's not enough just to be right um we need to get along with with people because there'll be issues down the road on on different topics do we need to get along with the anti-hunting anti-trapping crowd that disagree with you that are good logical people you do not need to uh get along with everyone yep no i would mm -hmm. agree um and there's certain people out there that just will not listen they are closed-minded and if that's the case then that's pure ignorance and there's the the only the only reason you interact with that individual and there's a number of them that we interact with online is because you're actually not even talking to that individual that individual you're never going to change his mind or her mind it doesn't matter what you say they're always going to come back with something else but you're saying something because of the hundred thousand people that are watching you say it so uh, he's right in terms of like you know, getting along with the people that you disagree with, but it's it's the people that you, you may not actually be interacting with that are looking at you going, oh, I agree with that guy. Right. Or, oh, I disagree with him, but he's, he, sounds a bit, he sounds more sensible than I expected. And he's not pushing the rhetoric that I'm right and you're wrong. You just... you. Maybe you subtly say it, but you don't just directly say it. <laughs> Another pointer that John Hogan point, you know, put out as, as a way of cleaning up the toxic debate was if you're communicating in this public space or you know, you're advocating for something or you're engaging in the public debate, ask yourself the question, am I diffusing the polarization with what you're bringing to the table 
or are you reinforcing polarization? Mm -hmm. And he said, not necessarily that reinforcing polarization is bad, but ask your question, if you are reinforcing polarization, is it for a good reason? Yeah, we have a different question. It's it, it's actually, I'm a little, sim I guess I'm just a little bit more simplistic yeah. in, my, in my in question creation than he is. He seems to be a little bit more articulate than me. We just ask the question, are you helping or hurting hunting? Yes. And what you're doing, are you helping or hurting hunting? End of story. Yeah, which is basically, are you making the gap and no, the polarization I, worse or are you bringing people together and diffusing exactly. polarization exactly. no that's that's, that's why he that's sells brilliant. books and i don't so <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, your publisher would be like robbie there's only like yeah. 150 words in your book yeah, yeah. you've got to be a little <laughs> bit more articulate here. you had to tell some stories and fluff it up he's now here's a couple more things i'll just sort of he he threw out one of the things he suggested is to don't tell people how to think. Hmm. And I've had a little bit of time to think about this, and the last two things I'm, I'm guilty of myself over the last few years, like emotions have got the better of me sometimes, and, and it's one of them has been this, of sort of being like, this is how you should be looking at this thing as well. And, and that sometimes gets some pushback. And I, I can appreciate the idea that people don't like to be told what to think, but at least given facts and information and hear both sides or multiple things or to pose questions enough to make people take that and formulate their own opinions or positions, which is also why now if there's something, an advocacy thing comes up, I might be like, hey, you know, the, the November 22nd amendment to Bill C-21 is now including a bunch of firearms. What we'd like you to do is to contact the Minister of Public Safety, here's his contact information, with your message or thoughts and somewhere in that somebody might be like yeah no i i agree with that at least they're being engaged citizens over the topic so we aren't telling people you know this is what you should be saying but engaging encouraging people to at least get get engaged rather than telling them what they should do so yeah your I thoughts I'm struggling with this deciding like how that like when are you actually telling someone to think the way that that you want them to think versus laying out like a, a, a cogent argument of XYZ but you're not actually telling them this is how you need to think but you're forcing them to think that way. Is that the same thing? I, I, um, I, yeah, I get good. in my brain. I'm just like, I think that's, I don't see the difference. That's the, I think what the difference is, is you're telling somebody how to think that way rather than you need to think this. Cause I know immediately if someone says, Oh, you should think this way. My immediate reaction is like, no, no, don't tell me what to think. Who says that though? 
I've never heard any. That's why I guess I'm struggling with this. I've never or, heard anyone says you need to think like this. Or I've never had it like that. But it's like if somebody if somebody comes at you in an argument and it's like they're implying that it's like no, you're wrong. Here's how you need to think. I think mm. rather than doing that, it's the encouragement of like, hey, here's how you should think about this. Like, like to. Okay, I'm not really putting that into good words, but but yeah, teach. <laughs> it's it's a tough one. I, I've got what I kind of want to say. I just I'm not having trouble articulating it. It's well, it's the same thing here. I don't. I just don't know. Maybe it's the same thing. You know, maybe it's just six of one, half a dozen of another. Right? It's just he's wording it one way. I'm wording it mm-hmm. another. Probably the same thing. Maybe not. The example that comes to mind for me would be let's take an example from what you do and what you talked about at the beginning of the podcast about the moniker of a trophy hunter and trophy hunting and the story you told about shifting that to the consequences of that act being it's conserving wildlife so why don't we call it conservation hunting so you could tell that story to say okay these are what these hunters are doing here's the impact that it has on communities and people's employment and what they're doing and conservation for wildlife and functioning ecosystems. Therefore, these are the reasons why I support this and why I'm telling you about this versus I've told you all these things. Therefore, you should also fully support trophy hunting. And that that's kind of the, you're being told Mm. versus you're saying these are the reasons I believe it, you know. Okay. And people could still be like, okay, fair enough. And yeah. they'll think the way they want. I, I don't know. It's, it's no, I agree. It's it's kind of a hard one to mm-hmm. to nail down. We say a lot of, in, our, in, in certain responses, we say, I get that you hate hunting. I know you're not going to change your opinion about it. But let me tell you the benefits that I know that come from hunting. Yeah. So. I think that speaks to this point. Yeah. Hmm. I think it does. Now, one of the last ones I'll just throw out that he said was, how do you speak the truth but not punish? And that one, that one kind of weighed heavily on me about, you know, using science, um, using facts, using evidence as a hammer for somebody that's that's ignoring that stuff or has crafted an argument that didn't take that into consideration. So you're kind of piling it up and dropping it on them like a piano because you're trying to publicly point out you're wrong and you're punishing them, you know, with, with your argument. And he's saying, speak the truth, but don't, this this becomes very like Buddhist sort of philosophy, which is has an influence on on John Hogan's writing. Um, speak the truth, but don't speak the truth because your intent is to punish someone with it. I will say this: there are times where you need the truth used to punish someone, right? And it's the individuals that will not change. And we've said I've said that a couple of times already. It's the Eduardo Concalves of the world that are spewing 
false misinformation to push their rhetoric. That's when I dropped the hammer. Yeah. And I dropped the hammer saying, so what you're saying is you want this or you want that. Here's the science to show that this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Completely opposite to what you're saying. Everyone else, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It's the loud voices, the loud actors against us that just deserve the, the hammer being dropped on them. And their sort of idiocracies being pointed out. Idiocracies, I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're misinformation, they're false, they're false information being pointed out and saying, nah, that's not, and, that's not right. And that almost comes back to well-crafted arguments and just good debate. Correct. Uh, as opposed to punishing somebody. Like in the good yeah. old-fashioned debates, it was like, what are your facts? What are your assumptions? Mm -hmm. How did you logically arrive at that conclusion? And the other side, who had the stronger argument? Whose, whose was valid and sound? Uh, they won the debate. So it, it's more about... There, it's more about being right, like in, in a good debate, um, as opposed to the end result of a good debate is to punish and embarrass your, your opponent. Um, so, so I think what I see you do is construct logical arguments and, and facilitate good debates. When you get into the, when you're in the space in Facebook, there's certain like bad actors that constantly find their way into arguments and into hunting groups. Oh, yeah. Yep. There's this guy called Jason Staples. I think he's out of, like, Uganda or something like that. He has some pretty, like, off-the-wall kind of ideas around wildlife conservation. And uh, one time we got into it, he started, it was one of those, like, 25-comment, back-and-forth kind of online Facebook-type debates. But he ended the conversation, the dialogue, the comment back and forth by saying, thank you, I didn't understand. And I applaud you for the way that you spoke and your debate style, because I didn't think that that would be possible from a hunter. Well, hmm. then he DM'd me and said, hey, I'm trying to put together my PhD dissertation. Would you mind reading it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know if I've got time to read a PhD dissertation. Yeah. So, but, no, that's, a great, that's, a, that's a great story. It, it illustrates yeah, a, a, lot of, story. a lot of things little, that we've been talking you know, about. Exactly. Very cool. Exactly. Well, so looking forward to 2023, is there anything where you see us the hunting community, not just Blood Origins, uh, some of the things you talked about. What are some of the challenges um, that you want to put out there to continue to challenge all of us to grow in this topic we're talking about is debate and dialogue in the public space. What what do you see? Where, where, are our, where do we need to improve the most? And keep doing what we're doing well i think the thing that we need to improve is somehow someone needs to lots of people not just someone need to foster relationships with these bigger 
everyone's going online now. But these bigger newspapers, the Seattle Times, the New York Post, the New York Times, the Washington Post, we as hunters need to sort of figure out and foster a relationship with the editor-in-chief of those organizations or those magazines or those newspapers so that we can be a little bit forward-thinking, be a little bit proactive for when like the caribou recovery issue is coming to the forefront instead of an opinion piece being published that is from the anti-caribou recovery anti-first nations anti yada 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 and we're like oh geez why didn't we write something and now we're on the back foot already defending trying to put up an opinion piece against it I'd like us to be a little bit forward moving and trying to get our own opinion pieces in there. The only way mm -hmm. it's going to happen is by having the relationships built with those editors and chiefs. One of the things I had, I don't know if it was in a course or something like a long time ago that was talking specifically about this. And I think the example was Greenpeace globally the case study said that they have a press release on a topic that hits the fax machine of every single news outlet in the world every day just about the topics that they want to provide their thoughts on yep. then what the news outlets apparently do is they just they just file the stuff it's like Greenpeace whales, Greenpeace seals, Greenpeace climate change, Greenpeace ocean fishing. Then a reporter's like, oh, I've been given assignment. I have to do an article on um, cod collapse in eastern North America. And they go to the file. Who's been giving them information? And they got a bunch of stuff to start their paper with. And those views and those ideas and stuff heavily influenced the journalist because they got 48 hours to put a piece together. That's almost the solution to the question that you posed is the hunting community needs to be reaching these on a daily basis yep. with just something so that when they're looking for material to write yep. a story... So hmm. that's a possibility. Yeah, we, need to, we, we really need to do a better job. Like I know in 2023, Blood Origins, I want to do a better job of when we drop content. Like for instance, this Thompson family, right? If I was, if I had a little bit more bandwidth, I would try to write a piece, an article about them and get it submitted in the Portland Times or some sort of news article there or some sort of magazine that would just expose their story a little bit more, expose the issue a little bit more. Where can we get better traction? How can we get bigger traction? Who can we engage? Those are the kinds of things that I think we need to think about in 2023. How do we expand our message? How do we increase the engagement? How do we increase the traction of whatever we're trying to put out there and being smart about it, right? Getting ahead of the curve. Hey, we see this coming down the pipeline. Oh, this, whatever. There's, you know, grizzlies are potentially going to be unbanned in BC. If that's a possibility in the next year or two, 
why don't we start writing articles about it? Why don't we start writing articles from the people on the ground? Why don't we start X or Y? Those are the kinds of things we need to think about. No, those are good ideas. Right on, man. Um, great conversation about the public, the public square, the public forum, which is all digital now. The yeah. good, the bad, the ugly. We're seeing more good, a little less ugly. The ugly stuff is still pretty darn ugly. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. um, wish we had a better way of tracking good versus ugly stuff and thanks so much for taking the time to come on our show again and I think talk to something that's near and dear to everybody's heart of trying to talk the truth around hunting and social media is a big way that everybody I think is trying to do it or a lot of people are trying to use their influence individually to, to do it and you've been a big influence on them because I'll be real honest I do see a lot of other brands and individuals and they're approaching stuff that I'm seeing on social media and I'm like I know where that ethos is coming from so and I we're one it. of them as well so thank yep. you so much uh, no, for thank everything you that for you're having doing. you man I love I love the I love the idea of having conversations like this. You guys are in Canada. Um, when I hang up the phone, I'm actually getting on a Google meeting with a bunch of wild chefs in New Zealand to right talk on. about like what they're going to do and how they're doing things and how they're engaging non-hunters. So fantastic. Yeah, right. Cool. Fantastic. Right on. Love Take it. it away, Curtis. Right on. The Hunter Conservationist Podcast is brought to you by Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, BC. I gave you guys a little bit of homework last time. I don't know if anybody has, but if you did, congrats. Checking out Alpine's YouTube page. If you haven't, check them out on social media. Stop by during the holidays and say, hey, bring them a coffee, hot chocolate, like I said. Uh, yeah, big thanks to Alpine. We appreciate you guys, and we appreciate the support moving into 2023. Uh, but this is our this is our last podcast 2022. Is this it not? Is this comes December out. 15th. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So there we go. Big thanks to them again for their support the last two years, 2021 and 2022, and moving into 2023. Also, if you guys have not seen. We have a new podcast out. It is a subscriber exclusive to our patron page. That is the Hunter Conservationist on Patreon. So patreon.com slash the Hunter Conservationist. The Hunting Diary Podcast. That's uh, kind of a cool one. You go out and record hunts and your time out in just the woods, just live in the field, which is me and my cool. thoughts. Yeah. And my conversations with the dog. Yeah. So with the patron subscription, you now get the Hunters Underground and the Hunting Diary podcast, which is pretty cool. So we have a few things coming in 2023. A little bit of a, not a shift, but a little bit of a, some cool stuff. We'll say that some cool stuff coming for 2023. So thanks to everybody for, sticking with us for 
2022 and we look forward to moving forward into the new year with all of our listeners. So thanks to everybody and have a Merry Christmas. You bet. Robbie, thanks again. Look forward to when you come back on the show. I will um, put the challenge out for you. Uh, the next time we get together, whether it's on your show or back on this show, how about we flip it around and you say, hey, what's going on in Canada? What is this? Why is this happening? Because looking from the outside, I don't understand this about you. Not that I know everything about Canada or Curtis does. I just think that would be a fantastic conversation. You know, you probably do like I do. You skim the news. You see all this stuff going on here. And you're probably like, man, what is what is going on? Why is that happening? What are they thinking? Um, I think that would be pretty cool to turn the tables a little bit and maybe show a little bit more of the rest of the world what Canada is about, Canada's hunting culture and wildlife management and conservation so there you go we'll do it i love the idea cool all right everybody we'll see you in the next episode